is your favorite Bible character? Would it be David, the talented man, or Joseph, the handsome guy, Samson, the strongest man, or Solomon, the wisest man? Whoever that may be, you may have your favorite characters in the Bible. You know what? Ezekiel also had his favorite. He picked out these three, Noah, Daniel, and Job. And I was wondering, why would he pick those three people? And we want to talk about those three individuals today and why he picked those three. And that story, well, that is found in Ezekiel 14. And I'll be reading from Ezekiel 14, this man and their animals. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they could only save themselves by their righteousness, declares the sovereign Lord. So here, it's painting a picture of how if Israelites sin against God and God sends famine and destructions come upon it and something bad happens and, and these three righteous men are in it, they could only save by themselves. And they cannot save the rest of it. And if you go on down to verse 20, it also continues on to say they cannot save their sons or daughter or nobody else. They could only save themselves. Meaning, these three are the most righteous men, sounds like. Right? So, who's Noah? Who's Daniel? Who's Job? What can we learn from them? And I was thinking, why isn't Abraham in here? Wasn't Abraham the father of faith? Wasn't he the first person who started the Israelite nation? I mean, actually, it technically started from Jacob, but Abraham is the father of their, their nation, right? And wasn't Abraham, what was his title? How did God call Abraham? According to 1 Samuel 13, 14, no, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7, Abraham was God's friend forever. So Abraham was God's friend. Can you call God your friend forever? Abraham was that guy. How about David? Why isn't David on there? What was his title? A man after God's own heart. And David is not there. How about Moses? The one who is, had the meekest character. How about, you know, other people that you can think about? How about, like, Moses, the one who led God's people out of Egypt to the promised land? The one, Moses talked with God face to face. Remember that? And his face was shining. Uh, all those characters. And how about Elijah? The one who um, prayed and the rain stopped, and then he prayed, the fire came down, and he prayed again, the rain came down. And he went up to heaven without dying. How come his name's not there? So I was thinking, why? And Noah has a very interesting things in his life. Let's, let's talk about Noah. So, talking about Noah, do you know how many times Bible says Noah was righteous? I bet you didn't think about that. But God uses four biblical penmen to tell 
Noah was righteous. Can you guess who they are? So Ezekiel was one, yes. What are the other three? Ah, <laughs> caught you off guard. <laughs> so four men are actually Moses. The book of Genesis talks about how, Mo how um, Noah is righteous. Ezekiel is the second one. Peter, in 2 Peter, talks about how he's righteous. And also, book of Hebrew talks about he is a righteous man. Now, who wrote book of Hebrew? Oh, there is a great dispute. Who wrote it? But most people believe it was Paul. And some people disagree that it wasn't Paul. But actually, so it was, it was Moses, Ezekiel, Peter, and possibly Paul. Book of Hebrew talks about it. So four people, four different individuals say that Noah was a righteous man. Was he a righteous man? What did he do? What did Noah do? What, what, what was the monument, like something that he did in his life? He built the ark. Built the ark. Now, let's think about building the ark for a moment. So he built the ark, he obeyed God, and how many people end up coming into the ark? How many people in total? Eight people. Who were they? Were they his neighbors? His employees? His family, basically. He and his three sons and all four men's wives. So eight people altogether. So besides his family, was there anyone else that came into the ark? No, basically no. Meaning the whole world was against him. So while he was preaching, while he was building the ark, while he was saying that the world will be destroyed and building the ark, the boat, up on a dry ground, up on the mountain, everybody else was, oh, listening to him and supporting him and his ministry? No. They were making fun of him. They were mocking him. The whole world was against him. Can you imagine? You and your family are the only ones. Nobody else is with you. They are all making fun of you. And you are doing something crazy. And everybody else was like, you know that guy? He's mad. I don't know what he's doing, but he's doing something really, really crazy. People got paid to work for him because there was no way they could have built the ark by themselves. They got paid to work, but nobody actually really believed him. But you know what? How many of you love animals? You love animals? You have Noah to thank him for saving all the animals. <laughs> Without Noah, there are no animals here on the earth. If you like dogs, cats, or giraffes, elephants, alligators, any kind of animals that you love, the ones that you see in the zoo, and the ones that may have gone extinct already, you have Noah to thank him for. Because he's the one who saved all the animal kingdom. Without him, you got no animals. But if you like fish, you don't have to thank him because he didn't build the fish tank inside the ark. Fish just survived by themselves in the water. They, I mean, God prepared a way for that. The freshwater fish and the, the salty water, the seawater fish, they all survived somehow. That's what happened. But Noah actually um, 
preserved all those animals and the whole world and the human race as well. But here, I want to read a quote. The next picture will give me the quote. Let's read, uh, I'll read it. It says, Great men, worldly, honored, and wise men said, The threatening of God are for the purpose of intimidating and will never be fulfilled or verified. You need not to be alarmed. Such an event as the destruction of the world by the God who made it, next slide, and the punishment of the being he has created will never take place. Be at peace. Fear not. Noah is a wild fanatic. And the world may made merry at the folly of the deluded old man. Patriarchs and Prophet, page 99. So people did not believe him. People made fun of him. All the wise men, the philosopher, the, the, the scientists, they all made fun of him. Yet, he still kept on doing what he was doing. What can we learn from him? Perseverance. Do you think the world is looking at us sometimes funny? Oh, yeah, you guys go to church on what day? Saturday. That's the day that everybody else goes and plays sports and they go hang out with their friends. They do everything else. You go to church on Saturday? What for? The whole world is going to church on Sunday. That's the day we should go to church and, and have worship. Your God is weird. Your church is funny. But Noah said, no. That's what God to told me, and I'm doing this. Was Noah right? Or was the world right? Noah was right. Now, we shouldn't have that kind of kind of pride, but if we are right according to the Bible, then we should have something in us. If the whole world is against us, but if we are right, then we should say, you know what? Noah was right, and I'm right. According to the Bible, I'm right. If we are not right, then we, need to, we better figure it out that it is right. Because you can't put your life on it if it is not according to the Bible, if it is not correct. But if it is right, then you better put your life there. You better believe it enough that you can risk your life for it. Is your faith strong enough that you will risk your life for it? Do you think you will still be able to hold your faith if the whole world is against us? That's what Noah did. And you know what? God used Noah to save the whole world, whole world. He needed someone to save the whole world and the animals. He needed Noah. And how many men could he find in that whole world at that time? The world probably was as big as today or maybe bigger. Who knows? But he could only find one man, Noah, to do that job. Can you be that Noah to save the whole world for God? Can you be that one person that God could pick? Hey, you. Pick, God will pick you and say, I need you to do this for me. There is nobody else in the whole world who will do this. You can do this for me. Would you be that one person? Would you be that Noah? That's Noah. And you know what? Out of all these three people, who served God the longest? Who was faithful the longest? 
Was it Daniel? Was it Job? Was it Noah? It was Noah. How long did Noah live? Oh, let's, let's, let's talk about Daniel. How long did he live? The Bible doesn't say clearly how long, I mean, how old he was when he died. He was about, he was old in his age, if you read the last chapter of Daniel. So people, scholars think he was about 85, 95, less than 100. That's what most people think. Uh, how about Job? Again, the Bible doesn't say exact age, but the Bible does say that he, after his, his trial, he lived another 140 years. And he saw four generations after, after that. So he was a lot older than 140, maybe 200, maybe over. Um, but Noah, the Bible says how old he was when he died. How old was he? 950 years, according to the Bible. So compared to Daniel and Job, Noah lived a lot longer and he was faithful. He had some ups and downs in the end, as you know, but overall he was faithful. So that's Noah. Now let's talk about Daniel. Daniel, as you know, that he prayed for the deliverance of his people while they were in foreign land. Uh, when the law forbidden him to pray, he still prayed to God. You know, like when the law was set in that um, prison land, when the law was set not to pray to any other, any other God, any other people, but to the king, he still prayed anyways, right? Open his windows toward Jerusalem and he prayed. Uh, would you do the same? If the law is set that if you go to church, then you'll have to pay a fine of $300. Would you come to church on Sabbath? If you go to church, the police officer will say, okay, you came to church this morning? All right, here's a ticket. You have to pay $300. Would you come to church? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you come to, would you come to church? <laughs> and if, if the law is set saying that, you know what, if you come to church, if you come to church again next week, and then the following week, we'll take away your credit cards. You won't be able to use your credit card to buy or, or do anything. Would you still come? And you come, and then the police officer will say, you know what, you're very stubborn. You come to church anyways. All right, so if you come back to church again the following week, a month later, We'll put you in prison. How about that? Would you still come? And you come anyways. And then they say, you know what? You're, you're impossible. I, I, we have to do something. All right, we'll put you in jail, and then we would kill you. We'll execute you like dead. Your family, well, we'll, well, okay, we'll leave your family alone, but just you. You'll be killed. How many of you, how many of us will actually come to church? That's exactly what happened to Daniel. He knew exactly if he were to open his window and kneel down, just by kneeling, he's risking his life. Let me ask you a question. Let me pause right here and let me ask you a question. Does God listen to our prayer if you pray anywhere, anytime? Yes. 
Do you think God will listen to Daniel's prayer if he prays inside the closet? Bible does say we should go inside the closet and close the door behind us and pray inside the closet in our secret. Do you think Daniel could have prayed in secret and God would have heard him? Yes. Then why did he open his window and pray? He didn't have to. God, God will hear him anyways. Why did he open his window and pray and risk his life? Knowing that God will hear him anyways. Because the circumstances was set in a way that if he, because it was all calculated, his enemies calculated everything because Daniel prays three times a day, every single day toward Jerusalem, to his God. So they made the law in, the, in such a way that if Daniel prays the way how he does every single day, we can get him, we can kill him, we can throw him into the lion's den. There is no way that he will escape. Daniel knew that. And by, not, by submitting to that, by not opening up the window, and by not praying the way how he did, he is saying that his enemy's king, or the king, is greater than the, the, than the God he serves. He's admitting the fact that, you know what, I'm just going to put my tail down, I'm just going to be quiet and silent. I'm not going to just stand up for my faith. He's doing that by doing so. So Daniel said, by kneeling down, by praying, he's saying, I would rather die than giving in, giving up my faith. That's what Daniel did. Can you, are you, are you and I good enough, strong enough? Do we have that kind of faith to say that, you know what, if I die, I would rather choose to die than pray and come to church. Do we have that kind of faith? I don't know if we do. I don't know if I do. Maybe you do. I don't know if I do, to be honest. But Daniel had that kind of faith. But not only that, Daniel, Bible says Daniel was greatly loved. You know, Daniel was such a, such a guy, such a man that, that God just loved him so much. Daniel 9.23 says, You are greatly beloved. You're greatly loved. Daniel 10.11, Daniel 8, and verse 18 through 19 also says, A man greatly beloved, greatly beloved. So Bible says how many times? Three times that he is loved. God loves him. There is no other character in the Old Testament that God says specifically, I love you three times. He's the only one. As a matter of fact, how many times was that same exact phrase, you are beloved, said to Jesus? Do you know how many times? Two times. Twice. At what time? Matthew 3.17, at his baptism, heaven opened, and the voice came and said, this is my beloved son. And also, Mount, Tra uh, Mount of Transfiguration, uh, Matthew 17.5, this is my beloved son. So this same exact phrase was said to Jesus two times, Daniel, three times. Ooh, is that something? That is very spe uh, special. So that's what happened to Daniel. But not only that, 
Daniel had received the vision. And also, because he prayed, God was able to deliver God's people and send them back to Jerusalem to rebuild Jerusalem. And that's, that's the beginning point of what? They went back to Jerusalem to rebuild Jerusalem. What, what happened then? That's the first date, the beginning point of 70 weeks prophecy and 2,300 day prophecy. So God needed someone to pray so God can say, you know what? There is someone praying for that deliverance of God's people. I'm going to deliver God's people and then start this prophecy that the Messiah can come at that exact time. God needed someone to pray for that. And God picked Daniel. Can you and I be that person? And say that, you know what? Someone who is studying the scripture, someone who can understand the signs of time and pray. Daniel, remember, Daniel realized that this is about time. The 70 weeks, about 70 years had about passed. And now it's time for us to go back. The prophecy had come and it's being fulfilled. Now that it's for time for us to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild it. He didn't understand the 70 week prophecy. He didn't understand the 2300 day prophecy because that was given to him later on. He didn't understand it. Gabriel had to come and explain it to him later on. But God had to pick someone so that the children of Israel can go back. In God's big picture of grand scheme of themes, Daniel played a critical role, even though he didn't understand fully what that meant. God had to choose someone so that his plan of redemption, his plan of prophecy could start, could have a beginning point. And Daniel was there, and he understood it, and he prayed for his, the deliverance of God's people. Can you and I be that person, understanding God's prophecies and play that key role? Can you and I do that? He, God needs someone like Noah and Daniel. How about Job? Was he a prophet? Was he a priest? Was he a prince? Which line? Where, where does he fall into? Have you ever thought about that? Who is Job? Job, if you actually think about this, Job is a very interesting character. So we know the most, uh, the first person in the history of Israel is Abraham. And the famous ones like Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and we, we know like the 12 sons, and the tribe of Judah, and Joseph, Benjamin, and all those people, like Reuben, and Simeon, and all those people, right? Now, where does Job fall into? Was he about the time of David? Time of Abraham? Time of Isaac? Or was it like much after, like the time of kings? Or the prophets? Where does Job fall into? So, the scholars have studied where he falls into. So, the types of animals, animal herds he had are the exact same types of animals that Abraham had and all the other patriarchs. And the type of offering sacrifice that that talks about that is talked about in the book of Job is the same of that of the patriarchs. And 
if you read the book of Job, there is no mention of Exodus because that took place after the time of Job. Whereas pretty much all the other Bible writers talk about Exodus in their writings. Pretty much all of them. But book of Job, there's no mention of Exodus. So that, those three evidences most likely would put Job the time, in the time of the patriarchs, like Abraham and time, and so on. And also, besides that, we have another evidence. Ellen White, in Education, page 159, says that Moses wrote the book of Job while in Midian. So that, meaning he was a shepherd in Midian. Um, so that's before the Exodus or after the Exodus? That's before. Because he was in, was in palace as a prince of Egypt for 40 years. And then he killed someone. He ran away to Midian. He got married. And he lived there as a shepherd. And then God came down in the burning bush and sent him back. Another 40 years, he leads God's people out of Egypt to the promised land. So if, he were to, if, he, if Moses wrote that book while in Midian, while being a shepherd, that was before Exodus. That's why Book of Job is the first book ever written before Genesis, Exodus, or the first five books that Moses wrote. That Book of Job was written before Genesis, the first book. So that's what happened. But that means, what does that mean? What's the significance that we have? So we know the story of Abraham starts from Genesis and his descendants, the children of Israel, the chosen nation, God's chosen people, starts from Abraham, right? Where does Job fall into? Before that time. Or around that time, but not of the line of Abraham. Whoa, what does that mean? Job possibly was not a Jew. Whoa. Was he a Gentile then? Yes. Possibly he was a worthy Gentile. But if you read the book of Job, it's interesting. God says, have you seen my servant Job? There is nobody like him. And Satan was like, oh no, you're blessing him. That's why he's so nice to you. He, God said that to Job twice. Have you seen a faithful servant like Job? There is nobody on earth like him. So Job possibly was a Gentile, not from the line of Abraham. Yet, still, God loved him. If that is true, what can we learn from the story of Job? As Adventists, we think that, you know what, we are the only God's chosen people. There is nobody else out there that will be saved, that, will, that, that God loves. They will all die. They will all perish. We have the light. We are the remnant people. We are the chosen people. That's what we think. Is that true? Because John 3.16 says that, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he loved how many people? Just Adventists? Every single one of us, everyone, he loved everyone. Is it possible that he could possibly have someone out there besides the line of Adventism that will be saved, that God can choose to love, that God can choose to use? Is there anyone out there? Do you think there are people out there outside of Adventism that God will use 
that, that are faithful to God? Yes. Amen. And God will save them at the end. The, the loud cry is, is for that. We'll, we'll study that later on when we get a chance. But Job possibly was from outside of the line of Abraham. I got this study from um, Dr. Joanne Davison from Andrews University. But that's, that's what happened. And <laughs> Book of Job, chapter 38 to 41, is the longest divine dialogue. Dialect, uh, dialogue to human beings. God speaking to people, speaking to people, uh, human beings, and this is the longest written history of God speaking to people. That's written in the book of Job. And you know what? I was, I was reading, and, and Moses says that he, was, he, he had a speech problem. Speech, he couldn't talk, right? He wanted his brother to, to be his uh, spokesperson. But did you know that jo uh, Moses was actually a great person speaking, and he was great in writing? Because, think about this. Moses, when he was in Egypt, what kind of training did he get? He was getting training to be the next pharaoh. He got the best training ever. So, he went through the University of Egypt, the best university, got the best training. He probably got a few PhDs, and he got training for military, and, and um, like, economy, science, probably medical... I, any training that you can possibly imagine. He got all the training, the best training you can imagine. Because if you want to train your next leader of the world empire, you want to give them the best education. He got that for 40 years. I'm sure he was good at it. And he was really good at writing and reading and speaking and persuading. And even physically, he was really fit. That's why he was able to kill and knock this guy down with his nothing else, probably with his fist. But he ran away for 40 years. And if, he, if Job, I mean, if Job was written by Moses, which, which it is, because Ellen White says so, if you read Job 38 to 41, look at how poetic it is. He is going into, like, every single aspect of human life. He talks about animal kingdom. He talks about the weather. He talks about the universe. He talks about every single thing. And he's so poetic. He's great. If you just read it, it's just expand, it expands your mind. That's what Moses wrote after about many decades getting rotten there, <laughs> taking care of sheep, right? Taking care of sheep. That, that's what he did. So he sure was a great writer, as a great, great in speech, I'm sure. But he was just saying that, you know what, I can't talk. Please get my brother to, because I didn't speak that language for 40 years. Yeah, maybe it was a little bit, you know, rusty, rusty, but I'm sure he was a great speaker. But talking about the book of Job, um, why did God choose Job out of these many people? He, God picked Noah, Daniel, and Job. You know what? Actually, this is not what Ezekiel picked. If you, say, if you read Ezekiel 14, it says, Thus saith the Lord, God chooses these three. So, so these three individuals are not Ezekiel's favorite. These are God's favorite in a way. Why? So, Job. Now, let's think about this. So Satan comes and, and says, you know what? Job is faithful to you because you are doing, showing him a great favor. And God says, no, that's not true. He's just a faithful guy. And Satan says, okay, let me test him. 
And God says, go ahead, do your worst. And Satan goes and prepares, like he, he calls all his buddies and like, okay, so what can we do? What's the worst way to hit him? And they all have a plan. They all have a, have a, like a great like a meeting together. What would be the worst way we can attack him? And they prepare the best way to go ahead and attack Job. And guess what? He doesn't fall. And Satan is all defeated. Like he drags his feet and he comes to the next meeting to God. And, says like, and God says, you know what? Did you try? Did you see Job? He was still faithful. And Satan was like, oh, yeah, that's true. But you didn't, like, his body was fine. You know, like, a life for life. You know, like, a man, he has his health, so he will still be faithful. And God says, okay, go ahead and, and, and attack him. But don't kill him. Spare his life. And Satan goes again. And this time, he prepares again with his buddies, with his demons, and say, okay, what else can we do? We tried this. This didn't work. Now we have to do better. We have to get him this time. And they prepare and attack him second time. He, even his wife comes and says, you know what? Curse God and die. And Job was like, you're speaking like a foolish woman. And he still was faithful. Now, what just happened here between God, Satan, and Job? What just happened? God said, this man is trustworthy. This man is faithful. Satan says, no, this man is not. And God said, okay, test him. And Job was faithful twice. And God, his character now is vindicated. Satan was proven wrong because of Job. Something like this has to happen again in the last days. Do you know what's, what's, what needs to happen? God is waiting for a group of people that would vindicate God's character. God needs a group of people that will show to the whole universe and Satan and say, you know what? I am right. My, my character is correct. My laws are right. And what Satan has said from the beginning, saying that God is wrong, he's at fault, he's, he's a liar. God needs someone to prove Satan wrong. That group of people is called what? 144,000. God needs people like you and me to be part of that 144,000, the first fruit to prove Satan wrong, to vindicate God's character. And Job played that role. God needed Noah to save the world. God needed Daniel to deliver God's people and to start God's prophecy. God needed Job to prove his character. Can you and I be like Noah, Daniel, and Job? How many of us want to be like Noah and Daniel and Job? And I pray that God will bless each and every one of us to be like another Noah, another Daniel, another Job, so that we could stand up as the 144,000, vindicating God's character. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you so much for Noah, Daniel, and Job and their life examples of what they have done. We pray that you would help us to be like Noah, Daniel, and Job. Help us to be part of that 144,000 to vindicate your character and stand up for you and, and to prove Satan wrong. Please help us. 
bless us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.